Global Business News 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway added a stake in Synchrony Financial during the second quarter, extending its bet on the credit card industry. According to a regulatory filing from the billionaire's Omaha, Nebraska-based company, Berkshire had 17.5 million shares as of June 30th, valued at about $520 million at the time. U.S. stocks higher, S&P up 24 to 24.65, a gain today of 1%. Dow Industrials up 135 points, up six-tenths of 1%. NASDAQ up 83, up 1.3%. The tenure down 9.30 seconds, the yield 2.22%. Gold retreated, down five-tenths of 1% to 12.83 the ounce. And West Texas Intermediate Crude down 2.7% to $47.51 a barrel. I'm Charlie Palatin. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. This is your Bloomberg Real Estate Report. I'm Denise Pellegrini. Forget about Brooklyn. If you're looking for New York's next big thing, it could be the Bronx. As millennials look for bargains while trying to avoid the suburbs. I think you're going to see the Bronx become a very viable, interesting place. Diane Ramirez is chairman and CEO at Halstead Real Estate. The price points are excellent. And it is that very easy commute into New York. And Ramirez says watch the South Bronx, Kingsbridge, and other key Bronx neighborhoods as major developers move in. As long as you're on the New York transit system in the Bronx, which there are lots of communities that have that option, I think those are the corridors you're going to see blossom the soonest. Zillow says prices in the South Bronx climbed 7% from a year ago. And housemate app Rumi says the West Bronx is one of the the most popular places right now for people looking for roommates. And that's your Bloomberg Real Estate Report. I'm Denise Pellegrini. This is Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Well, that's the question here. Uh, can you see the show? Music streaming, music festival streaming, an interesting thing as music media changes quite a bit. John Petroselli joins us right now, the CEO of Bulldog Digital Media, which does what, John? Uh, we are a live streaming agency and strategy company, largely focused on bringing kind of best practice solutions to premium content experiences. And we have a very kind of deep and core focus on the music vertical, especially music festivals. So what's the, what's the best practice? What are the worst practices? What, what happens now that's not working? Uh, yeah, good, good point. Um, what we've learned uh, along the way, you know, years and years of doing this, is, you know, you got to first start with a, a quality Internet connection at the venue, the festival grounds, wherever the experience is. Uh, that's, the, I mean, that's the majority of, of the issue there. Nowadays, we have adaptive bit rate streaming. Most of the connected devices, uh, smartphones, for example, can really deliver and really play back a rich video experience. And then to take it a step further, you know, the interesting thing we've seen and we've learned over the years is that fans want to tune in and watch these experiences, but they also want to post, share, comment, collaborate, and kind of engage. So a lot of times we bring to bear kind of the ability and grant them the ability to do that, really share, talk about what they're seeing, what's happening in and around the stage, et cetera, and especially for the fans that are viewing through the, the, stream, the streaming uh is, is the notion that people are there at these events? Because, you know, these 
these festival events and stuff are just massive right now, and, and it's an interesting change. Well, let me, let me back that up. Uh, for, forget what you're doing. Let's forget uh, the, the social media notion. But what's happening with music, summertime music, that's different than, say, 20 years ago? Uh, you know, the world is largely moving to an experience economy, uh, especially largely fueled by, you know, a millennial uh, segment of society that's now about 77 million people strong. And they would rather invest their dollars into experiences than potentially, you know, buy a house or watch or, or a car. So you're seeing a lot of interest. You know, people want this ticket inventory. Uh, you know, things like festivals sell out almost before they announce the lineups, the full lineups. Several times they've gone to back-to-back weekends, still selling out the ticket inventory. And now the ticket today is really a three-day pass for a single-day pass. So I think we're, we're kind of seeing this massive migration to that kind of approach. And we've seen the, the data. I think one in five millennials will attend at least one music festival in the U.S. And ironically, the distance that they'll travel on average is about 903 miles. So there's a big interest in A to B there, and B, if you can't, hopefully tune in through a kind of a virtual or a streaming experience. Whenever I see pictures of a show, I'm just struck by the fact that everyone, no one's holding lighters up anymore. I just aged myself. But, man, everyone's got their phones up like crazy. But it suggests when they're not taking pictures of the show, you know, they're not they're not just taking pictures of the show. They're taking pictures and instantly sending them out on, on Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Correct. I mean, the, uh, the notion, you know, that, uh, again, uh, FOMO, fear of missing out, is, is very – it's a part of that culture. And uh, if you're fortunate enough to attend – you know, you've got all kinds of friends on all these different social networks, and you want to share that experience with them. So to that, so and also uh, in the music industry, is it is it not true that musicians are making those who can tour make most of their money on the road, not uh, not uh, by selling music or having the music streamed? Yeah, correct. Um, the the music industry has largely shifted to an entire emphasis on live. And artists now really make the majority of their revenue through their touring, or some of them just play pure across the festival circuit throughout the entire summer, both domestically and internationally. And that's the lion's share of the revenue. And, you know, with that, with your live performance, you also open up all kinds of other channels, i.e. merch, uh, discovery of your catalog, you know, a band might be on. You might come there to see Coldplay's headline performance, but you get there early and you see four of the bands you've never heard of. And, you know, that's a, an interesting way to discover. And when these experiences streamed, you know, we're talking about an audience that could be 50 to 150 times the ticketed uh, you know, people at the venue. So the, the, this discovery factor, you know, shoots through the roof. And there's a ripple effect as well. Now the digital audience is saying, oh, I don't know who this band is, but, boy, they look, they perform live fantastically. Where can I learn more about them? What's their next record? What's their back catalog? Where are they so, so it's not just put the music out there, but put the social media around it so that you can continue the, quote-unquote, engagement with those artists. For sure. You know, the artists, too, uh, have invested very, very heavily in their social media followers, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, et cetera. It's an important, authentic, direct connection to their fan base. And you'll typically see them tweeting, hey, we're about to go live on the main stage at Lollapalooza, you know, make sure you tune in and watch. So you, they're, you know, leveraging uh, the time and energy and effort they put into their social media followers. So what's the capital uh, requirement here? What is it, what are the cost to, I'm asking your secret sauce, but what is the cost to put a show out? How much do you need in terms of uh, the platform? Is it audio only and what is recording, that kind of thing, or, or, or so on? What does that, what's, what's that run you? Uh, so it, it, 
varies, right? You, uh, the festivals vary in size and stature. There are literally hundreds of thousands of these experiences around the world. Some are single day. There are specific music genre. Others are you know, massive. You know, I think Bonnaroo has like 13 different stages at the festival. We'll typically go in and deliver content from the four, five, or six main stages and deliver, you know, two to three channels of live videos. The fan at home, we're on the air, say, nine hours. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in two channels of live videos, stocking up 54 hours of content. That's a, you know, that's all the video workflow, the streaming workflow, and that can be, you know, three to four to five hundred thousand dollars to execute that. And we're largely looking to the brand community to sponsor and present these experiences to largely hold to the challenges that they have as marketers, especially engaging millennials. I mean the Cord cutting rate for millennials now, I've seen numbers, you know, 41 to 60% of millennials have already done that. Uh, this year, 700,000 households, quote unquote, cut the cord. And that is an impending problem as well with ad blockers on connected devices. So there are 615 million connected devices that have now installed ad blocking technology. So the Drama indeed. John Petrozelli, thank you very much. John Petrozelli, the CEO of Bulldog Digital Media, getting his summer music festival on, which I strongly... If I had a third ear and wasn't listening to Bloomberg Radio around the clock, I would be listening to music festivals, but no, I'm all about Bloomberg Radio, which this is.